All right. Welcome back to Love Notes from God. This is week three of our study on Psalms 23. Um, we have talked about the Lord being our shepherd. We talked about green pastures and still waters. And tonight we're talking about restoration, righteousness, and his name. So are you guys ready? All right, real quick. And um, we've got a couple new faces in person tonight, but um, for those of you who joined by Zoom or in person, Miss Debbie says this is her prize and no one else can have it. <laughs> but I have a, um, on week six, I will do a drawing and we will, somebody will get to take home this study pack of a beautiful little journal that says, the Lord is my Shepherd, I lack nothing. It's backwards in my camera here. I had to look at it to make sure I read it correctly. <laughs> um, this book by Gene Edwards called A Tale of Three Kings, which talks about the two periods of his life when they, they are the possible times when King David may have written Psalms 23, either when he was being um, chased by Saul or later when he was being persecuted by his own son, Absalom. So, but this is a great thing. And I would recommend anybody who is in ministry, especially pastoral ministry, to read this book. Just saying. <laughs> and then the third, the third book that I as in this is called A Shepherd's Look at Psalms 23. And this is by um, W. Philip Keller. And I use this and Jean Edwards some to reference throughout this study, um, but um, the author was a shepherd in, I never get in East Africa. I wanted to make sure I get the country right. I know it's Africa, but I can't remember where. Um, he was born in East Africa and he was a, I'm reading, I'm gonna read his biography, make sure I get this right. Born in East Af Africa, always loved wildlife and the outdoors, having spent many years in agricultural research, land management and ranch develop in British Columbia, he later pursued careers in conservation, wildlife photography, and journalism. I mean, he spent time as a shepherd growing up and then later in British Columbia. So he has um, some insights from the shepherd's point of view onto Psalms 23. So I will put your names in. I need to bring my jar, jar next week and let you guys see your names in there. Yeah. Debbie's going to try to add extra names, I think. <laughs> all right so we're going to go ahead and get into our study we're going to jump in here so um those of you who have followed my bible studies for a while know that i prefer the new american standard version it's just my preferred study bible but i'm actually teaching off of king james for psalms 23 because that's the way most of us memorized it as kids and that's the way it's familiar to us. So I'm just being honest and open. That's where we're at. So Psalms 23, and I'm going to read it here. I've got it written out here. We're going to start. Verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's 
sake. And that's where we're going to go tonight. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So let's start there with, he restoreth my soul. When I say the word restore, what do you think of? Revive, renew. You know, I will be honest. I spent years working with Habitat for Humanity. And when I hear restore, I think about their thrift store because that's what it's called. It's called a, their thrift stores. Our Habitat for Humanity's thrift stores are called restores because you take what was old and use it to restore something else. That's that's where they get that. So she said, renew, re restores, renew. What else do you think of when you think of the word restore? If you Google it, it's gonna come up with Jefferson County Habitat for Humanity. I'm just gonna tell you that because of where you're sitting. Because <laughs> I Googled it to see what it would come up with. Um, so she's saying restore means to renew. Anybody else? I think about making something whole again. Make Sometimes you can take something that's broken and restore it back to its original mm -hmm. state. Or even better. Have you seen the, um, the old, I think it's Chinese, but I know it's Asian pottery where they would fill the cracks with precious metals. They would fill it with gold or silver to repair, but then it becomes more valuable than it was to begin with. So to bring it back to wholeness or even make it even more valuable. Um, if I restore, I have my grandparents' baker's, we called it a baker's safe growing up. It's a Hoosier cabinet for those of you who know official <laughs> furniture names. The paint is peeling off of it. It's flaking off. It is, it's, it's been in, um, it was stored in conditions at one point where the humidity got to it. So it swelled and then it's back, gone back down, but that caused some cracks and some things. It caused the paint to chip. It's priceless to me because it was my grandparents. It was in the house, my dad's entire life. And it is, I ended up with it. Um, but if I wanted to sell it, it wouldn't be worth anything right now. In order for it to be worth something, I'd have to take it to a restorer. Someone who actually, not someone who just refinishes it, but someone who could restore its value and who knows and understands the intricacies of how it was made, how it was created, what was it created to do. So he restores our soul. Let's think about it that way. The creator, mm -hmm. the one who knows what we were created to do, restores our soul. So to be restored is, this is the one that I like, to repair or renovate so as to return to its original condition. None of us know what our original condition was. We were created in the image of God. That is our original condition, not the sinful condition that we have grown up in because we were born after the fall of man, right? But why did God create mankind? To have fellowship with him, 
Let us make man in our own image. That's woman too. We are all created in the image of God. We are to be his likeness. So restoration time is what? It's time to bring us closer to what he created us to be. Now, let's think about that. Here's some other words for restore. Repair, fix, mend, refurbish, recondition, rehabilitate, and rebuild. Now, I'm going to go here. Keep that, that thought in your mind. Now, just because you're living your life where God wants you, I think most of us have had experience a time in our life where we know we're living right where God wants us to live. We know we're doing what he called us to do. And we get that time when he says, whoa, stop. And he makes us lie down in those green pastures we talked about last week. He may, he leads us to the still waters. He tells us to drink. And we're like, no, 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 I'm just perfect. I'm right where I need to be. You got to let me work. You got to let me do what I need to do. You got to do, you call me to do this thing. Let me go do it. Most of us have been in that spot at some point in our life. And we feel like we're being held back. Feel like there's something holding us back and we don't understand why God, God, I'm right where I'm living just the way I, that you told me to live. I'm doing just what you asked me to do, you, but you won't let me go any farther. So let's this. So it's living in the will of God. Are things always going to be easy? Sometimes being in the will of God is the hardest thing. It is. So I'm I'm leaning to something in this verse because I think these three things they're they're separate and I'm pulling them apart, but we're going to put them all together here in a minute. So he's going to restore us to bring us back to our original condition, which is the likeness, the image of God. Sometimes. We think we're living and doing just what we're supposed to. And we're, we're as close to being in the image of God as we've ever been in our life. And we're still, are, he's making me lie down in that green pasture. He's making me wait. He's making me take a break. But here is one of those reasons. I want us to go to Psalms 42 and 11. Psalms 42 and 11. And I know one of you has King James back there. Will you read it <laughs> for me? That's fine, Jessica. Yeah. Um. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? O thou God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the help of my countenance and my God. Okay. Why is my soul cast down? This way the King James words it, right? Mine says, Why are you in despair, O, o my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. The help of my countenance and my God. It's almost the same, but it says despair instead of cast down. But I really wanted to hear that, uh, hear that cast down word. 
This is something that comes out of Heller's book here. Who knows what a cast down sheep is? A cast down sheep is that sheep that is lying on its back and can't get back up on its feet. We talked about that last week a little bit, didn't we? Mm -hmm. But it, uh, whether it's, it's overeaten or whether it's flipped, but for whatever reason, it can't flip back up on its feet because it's flat on its back. That's a cast down sheep. What happens to that cast down sheep if it's left to lay there in that condition? It will die. It'll die. It's going to suffocate. It's going to starve because it can't eat. It's going to die. So if the shepherd does not get there in time, it's going to die. That shepherd has to set it back up on its feet. <clears throat> It has to be restored to its rightful state in order to live. So we talked about God makes us lie down in green pastures. God makes us stop. Sometimes he stops us. And we talked about that it's more than one green pasture. You're going to go from this green pasture to build up yourself to go to the next. And that's the way our lives live. If we're cast down, why are you so cast down, my soul? Who is our good shepherd? Where's our help come from? Help comes from the Lord. Help comes from the Lord. And that's what he says, the help of my countenance or my outlook and my God. That's where he's praising. God sets us up on our feet. When he makes us to lie down, when, he, when we feel like we're being held back, he's preparing us for that journey. We talked about this last week, that he's preparing us for that journey. But if we don't let the shepherd restore us to our rightful state, if we don't stop and rest, we're going to die. And what we're talking about right now is spiritually, right? We're talking about our soul. We're talking about our life, our, our relationship with Christ. That if we don't take the time to step back sometimes and restore what God has given us. Let's think about this. Restore to its original state. What was it like that first day you found Jesus? What did you feel like? That first day you were a new creation in Christ. I'll be honest with you. I don't remember. I don't, but I do remember what I felt like um, a month or so ago. I felt like I'd been reborn. Mm -hmm. And it is, I've never, I've never experienced so much joy. And I know y'all probably be around me, heard me say this a few times. But, and I say this not for sympathy, but I say it for glory for God. But I was flat broke mm -hmm. two months ago. I mean, I really did not have fun. I barely had money to go to church and what little money I gave to church. But what I'm saying is, I came to church. And you know, sometimes when we feel so bad, you know, we just don't feel like praising the Lord. You know, we're caught up in our misery and our death. And I wasn't this time. Mm -hmm. I mean, night, I mean, time we got together several different, two or three, you know, Sunday. Sunday morning, Sunday night, we, not, 
was able to come to church and praise God because he is I I prayed and prayed over the years that I have a burning desire, Lord. Mm -hmm. But until I really got it in my heart, you can say all you want to pray all you want to, but God knows your heart. Mm -hmm. You can't play church. You can't straddle it. I did most of mine. But I forget, I kind of forget the question, but but anyway, the joy among all circumstances, flat on your back, and you can still praise God, that to me showed me I really have gotten to the place or just beginning of what God wanted me. Okay. And see, that's a good example. When for someone who has lived, Debbie and I have a similar experience here. We grew up. We teamed those on those church pews from the time we understood what it meant to go to the altar and ask Jesus to come in our heart. We went, and I think I got saved every day for about four years because that's what you did. That's the way you train up a child in the way it shall go. So we allow, and we encourage children to go to the altar as many times as they need to until they have that assurance of salvation mm -hmm. that they know that they know that they know. But for us, that recognition of this great big epiphany of God saved me from this life of sin, it comes later in life when we look back and we say, oh, God kept me from this. God kept me from that. But then others who didn't have that same experience, when they find Christ that, and they truly are set free, the joy on their face this freedom, this idea that I am new and none of that matters anymore. That is our, that's our rightful original state as a child of God. Okay. When we're talking about the rightful state, setting the sheep back, we go through life and this is, I'm going to hit here. This is what we consider this process of sanctification. I believe that sanctification or this time of holiness is there's a time, there's a moment and a, a definite act where you sanctify yourself to God and that God gives you and you know that you're that committed, but it doesn't stop there. It's not a one-time thing. It's not one and done. Sanctification is also a process. And um, you hear, um, you, if you attend Mount Vale, you hear our pastor talking a lot lately about we're Arminians, we're Arminians. And everybody's like, what, what? What that means is we follow this the theology, which actually influenced John Wesley and what became the Methodist church. And this idea that holiness and sanctification continues throughout your life, that God, as you grow in Christ, when you come to these green pastures, when you come to these places of restoration, God is revealing things to you that you may have not, that when you first became a Christian, you may have not realized was holding you back from Christ. But as you grow, there are things that you continue to weed out of your life. I had a, a conversation with one of my adult children today, and I actually had to get off the phone because their little sister was listening, and I did not want to get into this conversation with the little one listening. But we were talking about, it's almost like that dancing that line, walking that line 
know, you guys have all been there where you tiptoe that line between the world and Christianity. And we all challenge that. How far can we go? Especially those of us who grew up in the church. We tiptoe as close as we can get to that line, but we don't ever really want to cross it. But we're going to tiptoe as close as we can get. And that's where this conversation was going. And, and I made the comment to her that it's easy for us to do one. And, we, and, and I'll use the example of we don't believe in alcohol consumption at all because of where it leads. It's not alcohol itself that's evil. It's the addiction to it. It's the things that come out of it. It's the, the loss of money and, and, and providing for your family because you're addicted to something. That's the same thing with gambling. Buying the lottery ticket is not the sin. It's what is the addiction. It's the taking away from your family to buy a lottery ticket. That's the sin. So we, do, we, we abstain from the appearance of evil. That's the way it was ingrained in us. We grew up, if you grew up in the church of God in the eighties, you still had that. You do not, you have to abstain from the appearance of evil. My grandfather would not allow my mother and my aunts and uncles to drink a soda pop from a bottle or a can because it was the appearance of evil. It was the appearance of alcohol. That is the way, that is what many of us grew up in. And so this conversation with my child today was that you can, you, you know, it's easy to slip into this. And their comment to me was, yeah, but it's easy to lie and it's easy to this. And I said, but, but as you grow in Christ, as you grow, and it hit me when we were, I was reviewing this on restoration. That's what <laughs> this is. When you reach these points, God reveals to you and it becomes easier and easier to not slip. It becomes easier and easier to take a stand. And say, I'm not going to do that. I don't have to do that. That's not where I'm going to go. So we abstain from the appearance because we don't want to lead others down that path who can't abstain. Well, to me, I can give an example. I don't have a problem with alcohol. I don't go into a club anymore. Mm -hmm. I used to like to dance, but I don't get into country music anymore because God's changing. But if I go in there, the appearance, like you're speaking, the appearance mm -hmm. of me being in there, if someone is trying to turn their heart to the Lord and see me in there, they say, well, Jordan, and I may, my appearance of me being in there may keep him from moving further that the Lord wants to do. There is the flip side to that, though, too, that we don't want to lead others down that. So we avoid places. But also, where did, you, where did Jesus go? He hung with the sinners. Yeah. He was with the publicans. He ate with the tax collectors. Who was, yeah, who was considered cast out. He, but what he did was when he went, he brought good news and life to them. He did not so he did not come down to their level. He brought the gospel to them. And that is that's where that difference is. When we if when I am at a former job when we would go on conferences, I was even when we would they would call me the designated walker 
because I would have to walk everybody back from dinner to the hotel to make sure they could make it back to the hotel. Um, <clears throat> it was a joke, but it wasn't a joke because that is what happened. I actually had one of, um, this was not from our particular office. It was from another office, but you know, we all were friends and hang out together. She called me a nag because I was checking on her because she was in the bathroom too long and I wanted to make sure she wasn't in distress. And she called me a nag. So that became, I started sending, signing all of my emails to her, your friendly neighborhood nag. Um, <laughs> hold on just a second, Larry, let me get this point out. But I want you to know that they knew that I stood by what I believed. And so when something, when they needed prayer, when they needed counsel, where did they go? Did they go to each other? No, they came to me. Even those from the other office who were not close to me necessarily, they knew they could come to me and count on me because I lived what I preached. I lived what I believed. And that is part of this. You your witness grows as your holiness, as your ability to live the sanctified life grows. All right, Larry. One question really is, as we see this you know, psalm evolving, mm -hmm. seem like David, again, this is part of sanctification, is it seems like when using the shepherd's life, mm -hmm. that the sheep evidently really learn to trust the shepherd, whatever the shepherd decides, mm -hmm. you know, you're basically saying that he was basically saying that my life is in your hands, Lord, you know, and I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And that's what I see evolving here, you know, and God brings it out several times, you know, you might use different uh, illustrations or whatever. You know, here it's the shepherd in Jeremiah 18, it's the potter. Mm -hmm. You know, are you willing to get on the potter's wheel and be broken again and be restored? Fill me with the gold, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I was just looking, you know, that's really hard for some people. To realize that if you want to walk with God, you literally have got to let him be a shepherd. Gotta let him lead you. Right. You know, if you want that life, you've got to turn your life over. You gotta deny yourself. Mm -hmm. Take you know, take up the cross and follow. There's three distinct things, you know. You got to deny it. You got to pick up the cross. You got to follow it. All right. And, and that's what this it is. It seems like the shepherd's story here. And as I keep thinking about it, it's really the story of total trust. It is. In God. But why do we have to have total trust in God? And that's where well, we're, why do we have to have total trust in God? That's where we're going here. Well, he says he's leading us in paths of righteousness let's move on here for a second leading us in paths of righteousness what what's a path of righteousness 
following this theme that we're talking about here, it's that sanctified life, right? That life of holiness. That's another way, holy living. Well, I mean, you think about righteousness in David's terms. Mm -hmm. He had the opportunity to kill Saul. He did. Right. He didn't want his son Absalom, even though Absalom totally rebelled against him. He would have preferred that his son would. He would have. Absolutely. None of us would want to. He wanted Abner to live. Yes. He didn't want Joab to kill Abner. No. He wanted to make peace with Abner. That's past righteousness. Right. I mean, he had every right to want those people killed. Mm -hmm. But he didn't. You know, and I just think that's part of those paths. Yes. You know, it makes us make right decisions, even in the face of being done wrong. And here's the thing. Where we're talking about these paths of righteousness, well, making us make right decisions. Love, okay. I'm going to ask my Mount Vale people here. What is our church motto? Determined to be the most loving church in Tennessee. Right. What's the scripture reference, Larry? I don't know. It's John, what? John, is it 13.5? 13.5. Uh, but it's where that Jesus says that they will know that you are my disciples by this. That you love one that we, you know, that we show each other love. That's what it is. I am. Okay. So Pastor Debbie's packing me up. She's going to look it up, make sure we're getting that word out right for you. <laughs> we want it out right. We're on the podcast. We're doing things in excellence. Okay. So as she's looking that up, I want to go ahead here and I want us to talk though. We talked about these paths of righteousness and what I mentioned about when you walk your sanctified life, your holy life and people, your witness grows, your witness grows and people know that you are dependable, that you, that you are what you say you are and that you will continue. But why? What what is our purpose as a Christian? Is our purpose as a Christian just to, oh, God save me, I'm not going to hell? Is that our purpose as a Christian? I, I knew I had that scripture address wrong. She's, still, she's really looking now. <laughs> um, but our, our sole purpose of, get, of salvation, what is the purpose of salvation for for the individual, the initial purpose of salvation is to save them from a life of, of torment, right? From an eternity of torment. But what is our corporate purpose of salvation? What are we as the body supposed to do with that salvation? To lead others to Christ. Serve God to lead others to Christ. What is the great commission? What did Jesus, what were his words he left us with? Go into all the world, right? Mm -hmm. 1735, 1335, okay. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right. Our church motto, they got me, they've corrected me. John 1335, that we will show all men that ye are my disciples. I'm going to have Larry read it. If ye have loved one 
another. All right. So that's that's what this all is. We know God, Jesus says that they're going to know that we're his disciples. What how? Because we show love to each other. One of his final things that he says to, to the disciples and to those who gathered is go ye therefore into all the world, right? Why are we going into all the world? What are we supposed to do? Preach the word of God, but he tells us to do more than just preach the word of God. We are to make disciples. Not only are they going to know that we are disciples, we're to go to make more disciples. All right. So when we get saved, our salvation is for a purpose. One is to save us, is to save our soul, is to restore us to our original condition that he was created in. We are restored to a sin. Our sinful nature has been crucified at that point. That is, that's the purpose of salvation. We might have to crucify it daily for a while, but that is the purpose of our salvation. But more than that, then we are commanded to go and work. Martin Luther used to call, he said that, um, he called the epistle of James an epistle of straw because it was all, he said it was all about works. But what Jane, what the epistle of James tells us is that faith without works is what? Dead. Dead. We can have faith, but if we don't show our faith, but we don't put legs on our faith, it's dead. Okay. He's leading me in paths of righteousness. Why is he making us righteous? Why are we living this sanctified life? Why are we becoming whole? It's to go to work. Let's read Ephesians 2.10. This is one of our purposes. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, mm -hmm. which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Right? God does not restore us so that we can lay back in that green pasture and say, oh boy, I got it good now. The shepherd loves me. He's feeding me. Okay, this is one of my problems with the prosperity gospel. Because I feel like they get stuck in that green pasture and don't move on. Yeah, you're supposed to get nourished and God does what he's going to do. And then you go out and use what God is giving you to share with others. That's exactly it. In the gospel, the gospel plan, this plan that we are part of, works do not precede the restoration. We don't do good works and then get this reward of laying back and relaxing. We are nourished ahead of time so that we can go forward and do works for Christ. So when you're in that period of a blessing upon blessing upon blessing, you need to soak it in. But you need to soak it in recognizing that it's not forever. It's not about, oh, God loves me so much. He gave me a new house and a new car. God blesses his children. He gives us the desires of our hearts. And there's nothing wrong with claiming that God blessed you with that. But that is not the end. That is not what your ministry is about. That And every one of us wants to be, except Christ, have a ministry. And that ministry is to reach others for Christ. When we are in this period of blessing, in this period of laying in that green pasture and being nourished and we're being fed. And I'm going to tell you, 
for those who have been in pastoral ministry, it's hard to find that spirit period where you're just being fed. So when you find it, it's you don't want to move out of it. You want to just stay there and soak it in. Debbie, I'm going to tell on us again. <laughs> when um, it's been about two years now, Debbie and Larry um, started attending church a couple months before Dave and I did. But we had, even though we have different paths, different lives, we I think we had all four hit a similar point in our life. And we wanted to rest, not do anything. Now, Dave and Larry would be like, oh, yeah, I'll pray. Oh, yeah, I'll preach. Debbie and I were like, mm-mm, no, no, I want to sit here. Now, I got pulled out a little faster than she did. She got to refuse a little bit longer. <laughs> I got I got pulled into the preschool ministry a little, really fast. Um, but we we wanted to stay in that spot because wasn't even necessarily that it was a comfort zone because I trust me I've been in a comfort zone and not wanted to move this was more of a I was starving I give it yes Debbie's saying we gave out gave out gave out you feel like there's nothing left felt depleted felt like I had nothing and to be able to stand and just worship and not have to worry about whether or not I had somebody took out the trash in the nursery that morning. Those are really important jobs, whether people realize it or not in the church, because you don't want to walk into the church and it smell like dirty diapers, do you? (laughs) But there are times when you feel that weight and people do not understand. It starts with the pastor and his wife or the pastor and her husband. It starts with that pastoral couple. It trickles down through all of the leadership. And I don't care what your position in the church, if you have taken ownership of what your leadership and what your ministry is, you feel that responsibility and that heaviness and that burden. And you are looking for others because you know that they've got that burden and you want to help them not feel as burdened as you do. So when you get to this point where you're being fed, it's hard to move out of there. Because you want to just stay. And I think we as Christians get to the point that we burn ourselves out. And when we get to where God is feeding us and he's got us to a green pasture, we want to say, oh, I've made it. I'm in safety. Oh, I'm just going to stay here. But they don't get to stay there. The pastures, that green pasture, that still water, And then tonight, the restoring our soul is so that we can go forward and we can work for Christ. Mm -hmm. He leads us in paths of righteousness. He leads us. First of all, he made me stop and he made me rest. Now he's maybe kicking and screaming a little bit. I'm going to be honest, dragging me out and making me do things. There's been a lot of changes in my personal ministry over the past year and a half that was kicking and screaming. Even starting this Bible study was a kicking and screaming moment. And um, Debbie kind of pushed me in the back along the way. Flesh likes to get in the way. (laughs) Flesh don't have nothing to do with it. But that, I mean, we, we, (laughs) I'm picking on Debbie a lot tonight, but we, we, we've been through a little bit this past year and a half, two years that we've known each other. It was the right time. 
God leads us, leads us in paths of righteousness. Like Larry said, the shepherd, we follow him. He nourishes us so that we trust him to follow him. And the more it happens, think about this, a sheep, the more it happens and it has a good shepherd that takes them from place to place to place with the food and with the nourishment and the restoration, the more that sheep is going to follow that shepherd. Well, you passed my point a while ago, but you said sometimes you just felt like when you first came there, that you just felt like you didn't want to do anything. Mm -hmm. Well, Jesus, I mean, in my way of thinking and looking, Jesus would do the same thing. Mm -hmm. There was a point where he had to get away mm -hmm. to those disciples, and he had to pray and do you know, have it between him and God, him and his wife, to replenish oh. of what he'd given out. What and else? We all need to do Yeah, that. but if you think about, in your example there, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he goes and he prays, he's praying because he knows there's another work coming. He knows what we're learning about here. He knows, and he's praying, God, don't make me do that. Daddy, if, if, if anybody else can do this, if there's any other way, please don't make me go do this. But he knew that his time of refreshment there and his time with his father at that moment was to go on and do an even greater work. And that is where we've got to get hold of this. He's guidance. What's funny, Larry, you talked about us needing trust to lead. And my point number two, under leading me in passive righteousness, all it says is guidance. Say like, that's all I wrote. Say like God guides us. Exactly. That the shepherd's doing that. Trust me, as a minister, you get things and you're going, Lord, really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. Yeah. But I mean, you have to get to the point to say, okay, that's what I'll do. If not, there's consequences to that. Yeah. There are well, consequences to every action. That's what, that's the basis of my job every day. We look at, um, and I'm even doing this some at church with some of our kids, just looking at why some of our kids do what they do in children's church. We look at the behavior but we look at what happens before and then every behavior has a consequence every decision we make every choice we make of what we do of how we're going to behave how we're going to act whether we're going to act when god tells us to act has a consequence and that consequence isn't only on our lives sometimes it can affect millions of people what if i'm that one person who can get the message to one person who can get the message to another person who will be the next Billy Graham? I mean, uh, just like the prayer ministry, you know, I was looking for ministry to do at the church. They asked. And after several days of prayer, the Lord said, start a prayer ministry. That wasn't what Larry and I was doing. <laughs> Because I know how hard it is to get people to pray. Mm -hmm. 
And the Lord said it needed to be a church because we needed to make the church a house of prayer. But you know, I just put the whole thing in God's hands and said, Lord, I'm just going to do what you told me to do with this. And he keeps showing me things how we're going to grow it. There's a vision for this mm -hmm. where God's taking it. But I got to thinking about this. The last part of that, for his name's sake. glory. Mm -hmm. Think about this. Everything that you do, you're supposed to do to the glory of God, as Barry just said. But think about it. everything you do, is it for his name's sake? Is it for Jesus? Right. Because this is the righteous that the past that he follows is for his name's sake. For us, that means it's for Jesus. So is everything you're doing on you know, your path that you're going in life? I'm sorry. No, you're you're right there. Because that's right here. That's where we're going. You've got it. Um AA A. Anderson in one of his commentaries says. He acts for the sake of his reputation is the way he does it. So the measure of a shepherd is the condition of his flock. What does the condition of our personal Christianity, our personal spiritual life say about our shepherd? What does the condition of our family spiritual life say about our shepherd? What does the condition of our church's spirituality say about our shepherd? It hurts. There's times that I look back. What does that say about our shepherd? I'm going to use a, an illustration. This is the illustration that comes to me when I think of this. Many years ago, I, I read this book by Max Lucado. And he was talking about um, that we are Christians, that we take his name. Right? We, we hold his name. We claim to be his name when we say we're christians we're using his name so everything we say we do as a christian is in the name of jesus but he said are we truly a reflection of christ think about this the moon has no light if the sun's not shining on it it's a reflection of the sun's light if our sun would burn out we'd have no moon either right when there is when it's a new moon and the moon is dark we have no sunlight that night right we are a moon in the darkness we are reflecting the sun the son of god to the darkness how bright is our reflection are we a full moon are we a new moon where we're hiding it? That has stuck with me for years, that illustration. When every time I look at the moon, I think about that. Here's, I'm, I'm gonna get to my last point. I may have, we may have a Holy Ghost moment here in a minute. <laughs> There's a good question on the yeah. Lord. He says online is obedience. Absolutely. 
obedience. Are we really being obedient? We have to be willing to follow wherever he leads me. That word is keys. I don't know why it's keys. Follow wherever he leads. What is? Renaissance in my mind is obedient. Are we really being obedient? And it's it's word. That old chorus, where yeah. he leads me, I will follow. Is that true? Are you telling the truth? I'll go with him all the way. Yeah. Now that's the question. Are we doing that? But you know, you, you asked that question, and it's ironic with the testimony I heard last night from Chris. He said that towards the end. He said, are you willing to go but God wants you to when he's calling you and not worry about the consequences. Not, mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not, don't put me, I'm not putting my head word because I'm just saying that my way. He says, are you willing to go wherever God wants you to go mm -hmm. without worrying about what's going to happen, what possibly can happen? I mean, he just you know, that's, but that's that's the trust in the shepherd. The shepherd is that's leading, that's the obedience that even when we don't know where we're going. That's what the song says. I will we'll follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. Here's, here's the other point about this. We're talking about we do this for his name. Because when we claim to be Christians, when we claim to be Christians, if we don't act in his name's sake, we're not following those paths of righteousness. And that is what has killed Christianity all over the world, is those who pervert the name of Christ for their own gain and their own profit. Mm -hmm. they don't love one another. And they do not love one another. Yeah. So, I've been on uh, on the internet listening to YouTube, and a lot of this week I've come across some of the things on YouTube which talks about false preachers. And right now, on top of my head, I can name you five of them right now that they brought up. And a lot of them we know, you know, a lot of them we know who they are. And they've actually listened to some of them as they were, and the guy would take scripture that was warning us of these false preachers, and he would use the scripture against what he was what he was saying, this guy was wrong, blasphemy and all like that. And you begin to listen to it. I mean, Jesse Duplantis, it really kind of opened my, I mean, he actually claims he actually went to, went to heaven and suggested some things that God could do. And God took his advice. Are you okay. kidding me? You know? I mean, it's just, I, I mean, I've listened to Jesse Pettit. I mean, he was about five feet away from me at one time a year ago. But then this guy starts opening me up this, with the scripture, and I realize how lunacy these guys sound. Mm -hmm. So let it's me go. Money. Yeah, let me go here. First Peter chapter one, verse 14 is where I'm going to start. 1 Peter 1, verse 14. It says, as obedient children, 
not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust and your ignorance. So we're talking about sanctification, right? We're obedient and we're following our sanctification. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That means we watch what we say, who we say it to. We avoid the appearance of evil when there are things and situations. There are times when we may have a, a, a brotherly or sisterly concern for someone, but yet we need to allow God to move in another way because it is not appropriate for us to talk to them. Mm -hmm. I've had those situations where I've had to go to Dave because it wasn't appropriate for me to talk to the man that God had revealed something to me about. I had to allow Dave to go and do that. But he says, but as he, I'm going back to verse 15 again, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversations. And this is the mem memory verse of all memory verses. Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. Amen. And if you call on the father who without respect of person judges according to every man's work, those paths of righteousness, what, right? We're working past the time of your sojourning or your time you spent here in fear for as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. We're not saved because we listened to a preacher. We're not saved because we listened to a preacher who got something wrong. We're saved here. Verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ mm -hmm. as a lamb without blemish and without spot, he is the shepherd, but he was also a lamb and he knows exactly where we are and what we are. A long time ago, that memory verse came up and my son was probably about 10 or 11 years old. And we came, we were doing the, a. Uh, 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 Bible study or devotion as a family one evening. And we talked about this verse and we talked about what being profane is because he talked about profanity. He was old enough to know what profanity was and he was questioning. And I said, Robbie, profanity and being profane is not just saying bad words. Profane is to take something that's holy and to treat it with irreverence or disrespect. If we bear the name of Christ by calling ourselves Christians, are our lives showing his name as holy? Or are we desecrating his name and truly living in profanity because of the way we act and we live? We are commanded to be holy for I am holy. He doesn't say try to be holy. He doesn't say do your best. He tells us. If he says be holy, that means it's possible for us to live a different kind of life. It is. it is absolutely possible. He gives us that power and that strength. And we get that when he, we allow him to restore us for the journey. When he will allow him to restore us to walk in these paths of righteousness, then in his name, we can live in holiness and we can reflect who he is to a world that has no idea what true love and compassion is. And that is our job. Our job is to show love and compassion. And even when you don't like somebody, you reach out with love and compassion. And I've struggled with that the past couple of weeks. I've had a, a particular person that has driven me absolutely batty for the past couple of weeks. But the Holy Spirit prompts me. You treat them with compassion. You show them my love. I will take care of it. Verse 22 sums it up for you. Okay. 
Go ahead and read it there. Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfringed love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart, fervently. Verbally. Fervent. Fervently. Okay. I was like, verbally? No, fervently. Fervently. That means with passion. Yes. Okay. Do you love your enemy with passion? We can hate them with passion real quick, but do you love your enemy with passion? Because your enemy is your brother. But that's what God commands us to do. It's hard. But that's what this, this whole, the first three, four verses of the Psalms is preparing us and telling us, this is what you can do. You want the path of righteousness for the child of God today? Mm -hmm. Verse 22 is it. Verse 22 is it. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough saying. This is the guy that, that Peter thought he was getting by good, you know, you know, just turn the other cheek sometimes. You, you still know? got that verse? Mm -hmm. He's got it Where up there. First Peter one and twenty two. Just yeah. down a little bit. Because mm -hmm. I just kept reading when she stopped. <laughs> you go. See, you have purified your souls and obeying the truth. You want to know how to get sanctified? Obey the truth. Yep. Read the word. Through the spirit. And to unfringed love of the brethren. That's without bounds. Right. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Yeah, that's, that's unconditional. You know, it says pure heart there. The New American Standard says a sincere heart. Yes. So sometimes we think, oh, well, I love them with the love of Christ. I have a pure heart. But are you sincere? Yeah. Pureness sincerity. and sincerity go hand in hand. You have some disdain there for that person. Yeah, I'm telling you, I've had a struggle. <laughs> yeah, I've I've had a struggle. And I I mean it, and, and that's the thing. We as as Christians need to be transparent and recognize this is part of our continued sanctification, our continued growth in Christ, our continued restoration to what God originally created us to be is that we recognize these things. I really struggle with this one person and I have been praying, God, please purify my heart's what I've been praying. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Well, but I'll be honest about me. I like to size you up before I really the way you is in my mm -hmm. comfort zone. I sided you up to decide if I want you to be my friend. But the Lord says, I got to break that. I'm trying. But it's hard. See, I need to be more open. I need to be and friendlier. I got I, I got to allow myself to open up to possibly getting hurt. Well, you know? we've been taught for years, and I'm going to go back to this leadership training that I'm you have. myself. We have this in, we have this inner circle. You don't let, you know, you be careful who you share your dreams with. And that's true. You do have 
very few in your inner circle who you share everything with. But that doesn't mean that you only have that inner circle because you have no sphere of influence if you only stay in your inner circle. Your sphere of influence, that I'm using some key words of motivational speakers, but your sphere of influence are those that you can reach for Christ. Those who you come in contact with. Those who come to your counter every day and you, you prepare their lunch. Those you talk to on the phone. Those who come in contact with you at the office. Those that you see who you're not going to see at the hospital, but you run into at the hospital. Our spheres of influence are so much larger than we realize. It's so easy to say, oh, I only see the same five people every day. Because I'll be honest, most days I see, other than my family, I see about five people that I really interact with. But what about when I stop at the gas station? What about when I run into the grocery store and that cashier? What about if I'm on Facebook just scrolling through and I see my friend is struggling? I have a friend from high school who lost her five-year-old child this week. I think he was five. He may no, he may have been a little older, but her young child. Where is my sphere of influence? Reaching out and telling her, I can't imagine what you're going through, but I'm praying for you. And I'm praying for God to comfort you. That's all I can do in that moment. But that is part of my sphere of influence. How are we hoping? How do we keep pro from profaning the name of Christ? with our lives. What do our lives say about our shepherd? But does that person at the gas station or the cashier, do they see the light of Christ? If I mean, there's just that glow about whoever you are, whoever you meet. At my that person said, you know, I wish that was going around. Yeah, there's a story. Those of, in, the, in, the, in the Pentecostal charismatic world, we all know who Tommy Tenney is. It's been years since he was very, it's been years since he's been popular. But he was the author of this book series called God Chasers. But he, there is a story he told. He spoke at my parents' church in the height of all that, they did these big worship conferences and he spoke there more than one night and he testified and this testimony has stuck with me. He had been at a humongous revival somewhere in California, one of those big, you know, 20,000, 30,000 seat arenas that are churches or, you know, what I'm talking about, huge place. I don't know which one specifically. And doing this and they were having revival. And people were coming in and being delivered and saved and, and, and healed. It, it was a huge revival. And it ended up getting extended a day or two. And his wife went shopping because she didn't have anything else to wear. She needed to have some, uh, something else to wear for the next night. 
or she hadn't planned to stay or something, but she had to go buy something to wear. And she's in line checking out. She gets this tap on her shoulder. She turns around and this man looks at her and he says, I don't know what you've got, but I need it. I want to have that kind of presence. That they recognize that I have the power of Christ in me, even if they don't know what it is. And that they know that they're, they're God-shaped whole. We talk about that. That there's something inside of us that burns for reconciliation and restoration to our maker. That they can, that that will burn when they see me because they know that I can help them. That's the kind of witness that I want. <laughs> that is the kind of witness we should all have. That is who God has called us to be as Christians. That is who God has called us to be to, in his namesake, is that where you go, people recognize that he's there. Is he, do they recognize you're there? Do they recognize that God's there when you walk in? We sing that worship chorus, um, when you walk into the room, everything changes. And we're talking about the Holy Spirit coming into our services. But, is he with me? Does his presence walk in when I go into places? Sometimes I feel like maybe I've got a little bit of this because I get some pushback from some people who don't want that presence there. I don't know if you ever heard of Mercy Me, but the one that used to bring me to tears, and of course, it hits me in a different way now, but it still hits me. But it's... um. I mean, that is my song. I mean, that can, used to bring me to tears and all like that. But talking about what you told me a while ago, that, that's what you want. Well, hmm? I prayed and prayed so much that he's in our church. That I would be like him. That I would have the spirit of God in me to wait this and I mean he's one of our leaders but I mean because I used to be like this guy and I walked in well it's gone transform me in a way that it would be that I could do the same thing and not be about me, but to the glory to change, but to have that excitement of being in church about singing and all. And I've seen this man and the way he is. That's what I want. And you know, I'm not there yet. God has given me what I've asked. God gives us the desires of our heart, but the desires of our heart have got to be in tune with him. Mm -hmm. And if we are listening, if we're children of obedience, like first Peter talks about, we're not after our old lustful thoughts, right? We've now been through this period of restoration to what God created us to be. And the desires of our heart are to be more like him, to 
be holy because he is holy. I am a reflection of his holiness on this earth. I am the reflection of the power of the living God, the power of salvation, the power of Calvary, the power of Pentecost. Comes into the room. Can it come into the room when I come into the room? Am I truly walking in his namesake? Am I showing people who he is? And that should be what, what we're desiring tonight. All right, I'm going to go ahead. We can keep talking after we shut this off. I'm going to go ahead. I want us to pray. Larry, I'm going to ask you to pray us out here for this, and I'm going to stop our recording. Lord, so much thank you for the word. God is the word that gives us the truth of life. God is the word that helps us to obey you and to purify our hearts. Lord, you restore us through your word. Lord. And God, we thank you for this anointed word tonight. God, we ask you to purge our hearts. God, and help us walk with you. God, to follow you wherever you go. God, and not be a story, but God, that it be the fact of our life that we will follow you wherever you go, Lord. And God, do your will. Lord, we thank you for being our shepherd that leads us, that makes us to lie down, takes us to green pasture to green pasture, Lord, that gives us water to drink, that makes us live. Lord, we thank you so much for restoring our soul and leading us down the right paths of life. All for the name of Jesus, Lord. And we thank you in the name of Jesus tonight for this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.